Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Each year across the months of January and February, I have taken one book of the Bible to preach through across two months. That way we get some appreciation for the the storyline, the narrative arc, and we don't just grab a a text out of its uh, literary home, but hear it in the larger story. Today we're in week three of 1 Samuel. Next week, you might have noticed, is Youth Sunday, and Joshua Scott will be preaching, but we looked at it, and the theme in 1 Samuel next week is on disobedience. Josh said, I think I can handle it. I think I can can keep that theme going, and we'll just stay in 1 Samuel uh, next week as well. Today, I'm reading from chapter 8, the first 22 verses. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not follow in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, And said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us, then, a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me, from that day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now listen, listen to their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words that the Lord had said to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, to be his horsemen, to run his chariots. He'll appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks. And you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. 
but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us so that we may be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to their voice and set a king over them. Samuel then said to the people of Israel, Each of you return home. Those of you who were here last week will remember that when the voice of God called to Samuel, ordaining him to his divine purpose as a judge over Israel, Samuel was asleep next to the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was Israel's highest treasure. It was reported to have contained Aaron's staff and the stone tablets of Moses, but mostly it was a symbol of the very presence of God with the people of Israel. The ark's home was in the temple, but if the Israelites were on the move, like during the years of Exodus, they carried this treasure with them. Imagine if we had something equivalent in our country, one box in this country that housed the original biblical writings, George Washington's wooden teeth, the original Declaration of Independence, Lincoln's stovetop hat. The ark was a national treasure, but more, it was the holiest thing in all of Israel. It was for them the very presence of God. One day in battle, after 4,000 men had lost their lives to the neighboring Philistines, someone thought it would be a good idea to go get the Ark of the Covenant, bring it out to the battlefield. God's presence with us on the battlefield. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? Well, it turns out it was not a good idea. It did disrupt and disturb the Philistines when they heard all the roar and excitement, but still... The Philistines defeated Israel, this time killing 30,000 men, and they stole the ark. They stole the ark as a spoil of war. Can you imagine the grief of the Israelites after the loss of this, their most sacred treasure? But then, after some months, the Philistines kept looking over at the ark They started feeling a little queasy about it. Isn't the God of Israel the the God who brought those famines and plagues? And I'm just not feeling too good about having this thing around. So after seven months, they decided that they would return the ark along with a few uh, guilt gifts. They no longer wanted to be curators of the lost ark. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's beneath me. All right. Eli's died. Samuel's been the judge of Israel for some time. He's no spring chicken either. 
In his role as judge, Samuel makes decisions about justice among the independent tribes, but the tribes of Israel are not ruled by Samuel. They they were ruled by God. They listened to God's voice, God's direction for their lives. They understood that their one loyalty was to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is, until they got scared. This this thing with the 30,000 men dying in battle and the ark being captured made them wonder if it wasn't time for a change. So the tribal elders went and met with Samuel at his home in Ramah. They apparently did not appoint their most diplomatic spokesperson because he said, number one, Samuel, you are old. Number two, your sons are just as sorry as Eli's sons were. We want a king. This is the way it is in the text. You are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. We want to be like everybody else, even if it's not good. But mom, it's not fair if the other kids get to stay out past 11 and I don't. All of my friends are going to Panama City Beach for spring break with no parents going. Dad, all the cool kids are wearing a mullet. I mean, no matter how bad the decision, we all live with a silent pressure to be like everybody else. I was once on Jekyll Island at a convenience store. I saw five or six teenage guys coming out of this convenience store holding or drinking a carton of chocolate milk. And I thought, there is no way six guys walked into a convenience store and said, you know, I've got a hankering for some chocolate milk. There's no way. But somewhere in there, somewhere, well, I'm not going to be the only one. Not if everybody else is doing it. And in our fast and competitive lives, we're dealing with the constant onslaught of what I ought to be doing to live up to expectations. Everybody else seems to be thriving. What is everybody else doing? Everybody else seems to have well-behaved children and fresh vegetables. I just don't measure up. I want to do what everybody else is doing. I love this quote. This is a Facebook post from 2017. How to be a mom in 2017, she wrote. Make sure your children's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, and social needs are met while being careful not to overstimulate, understimulate, improperly medicate, helicopter, or neglect them in a screen-free, processed foods-free, GMO-free, negative energy-free, plastic-free, body-positive, socially conscious, egalitarian, but also authoritative, nurturing but fostering of independence, gentle but not overly permissive, pesticide-free, two-story, multilingual home, preferably in a cul-de-sac, with a back yard and 1.5 siblings, spaced at least two years apart for proper development, 
And also don't forget the coconut oil. (laughs) Then she added this. How to be a mom in literally every generation before ours. Feed them sometimes. (laughs) The pressure to be like others. All of the other countries have a king. We want a king too. God doesn't approve, but God permits. It's a part of what it means to be made with free will. God lets us make bad choices. Love is never coercive. We must be free to say yes to love, which means that we must be free to make bad choices. And living under God's sovereignty, God's rule, did not require a hierarchy in the human community. But all the neighboring countries had kings. That's what they're doing at the cool table. Samuel warns the tribal leaders, you don't want a king, you really don't. Israel emerged as an alternative to human kingship. You have such a short memory. Do you remember Pharaoh? This is why we left, to stake out a way of living under the kingship of God. A king will end up taking your sons for his army, taking your daughters to cook in his palace, taking the best of your vineyards and orchards. He'll take the best of your cattle and leave you with the runts. He'll take a tithe. He'll take one-tenth of what you have. The king will take for himself what you know is due to God. And one day, one day you're going to regret it and cry. Samuel makes this most impassioned appeal. And the judges answer him in verses 19 and 20. No. But we are determined to have a king over us so that we may also be like other nations and that our king may go before us and fight our battles. And God tells Samuel, if that's what they want, I don't approve, but they're free to make bad choices if they want to. Obviously, as this story shows, the pressure to be like everybody else is not just the domain of peer pressure. This pressure is as ancient as Israel and as current as this morning's AJC. This week we learned about baseball managers getting fined and fired because they were cheating. But everybody's probably doing it right. I mean, everybody's just trying to find a little edge, right? This week we've listened to national politicians be mean to political opponents. Not just differ on policy or differentiate their position, Call each other nasty names. But that's just the nature of politics, right? Everybody's doing it. This week in the impeachment back and forth, one of the questions that gets asked a lot, will anybody break ranks with their party and vote the other way, or or will they yield to the pressure to vote like everybody else on their side of the aisle? It's hard to stand alone. Nobody wants to be the odd one out. 
All of the other nations have a king, and we want one too. But just pointing to other people doing it is, is sport. The more serious consideration is looking hard at the ways we might be doing the same thing. The Israelites were the called out ones, the chosen people. They were to get their direction from God. It was a theocracy, God as their ruler. But they wanted to follow the example of the surrounding culture. And God allows it even though it's not what God wants. Well, how are we doing? We're the church of Jesus Christ called out to be different, not to adopt the politics and values and priorities of the culture around us, but to listen for and follow the voice of God. How are you doing at standing alone for what is right even if it's not popular. I remember the story of a monk named Telemachus. He, he, he lived in a simple monastery out from Rome. But he took a trip into, into, ancient, in, into ancient Rome in the year 402 A.D. And when he got there, he was all caught up in this crowd of people. There was all this big excitement going on in town. This young man who had grown up so far from the city, he kind of got swept away in it all. He wasn't sure why the crowd was there, wasn't sure where the crowd was going, but he got swept away in that crowd, and he ends up in the Roman Colosseum. He doesn't know what's going on still. He starts asking questions of those around him, and he found out that the Romans had just defeated the Goths, And it was time for a celebration. Well, about that time, the big muscular gladiators come out. They come out into the arena, bowing before the emperor, lifting high their swords. And soon the bloody brawl began. And this is going on just a few hundred yards in front of him. And it was a fight to the death. And it made Telemachus sick. Not only the violence of the gladiators, but also this, this bloodthirsty frenzy that was in the crowd. Now, now keep in mind, this was after Constantine. This is after Rome had become a Christian nation. Telemachus walked, watched in horror and disgust. And he faced a choice. One that we all face be like everybody else or stand out sit in silence or speak Telemachus yelled from his seat in the name of Jesus stop over and over he kept yelling in the name of Jesus stop but because everybody around was in such a game time frenzy nobody heard him nobody paid attention so he jumped over the wall went out into the battle arena and kept yelling in the name of Jesus stop in the name of Jesus stop well the audience thought he was part of the show they start laughing cheering he's running around no 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 in the name of Jesus stop Well, the gladiators stopped what they were doing and chased him as he continued to scream out. Finally, they had him trapped. The gladiators collapsed on Telemachus as he continued to scream in the name of Jesus, stop. And they turned their swords on him. And the celebration ended. Well, when the emperor left... 
he kept hearing ringing in his ears, in the name of Jesus, stop. And soon after, the gladiator games were ended forever. The gladiator games ended because one Christ follower refused to give in to the pressure to be like everybody else. They seem to be little things. People playing shell games with the expense account. Everybody does it. Someone got hold of last year's test and everybody's passing it around looking at the answers. Everybody's doing it. Not including the one who's different. Nobody includes her. Nobody does. Everybody ignores her. The joke is demeaning. You know the joke is demeaning. But everybody else is laughing. Perhaps this is the right weekend to remember the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who wrote, In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. It's hard to stand alone to not be like everybody else. But God didn't call you to be like everybody else. God called you to be like Christ in all things at all times, even when it's hard. Let's stand and sing our faith together. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.